The reading today is 1 Corinthians 35 through 58. Uh, This will be from the ESV, but again, the passage is 1 Corinthians 35 through 58. Uh, Chapter 15. Chapter 15. Let me give you a better hint. Verse 35. But someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? You foolish person. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or of some other grain. But God gives it a body as he has chosen, and to each kind of seed its own body. For not all flesh is the same, but there is one kind for humans, another for animals, another for birds and another for fish. There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly is of one kind and the glory of earthly is of another. There is one glory of the sun and another glory of the moon and another glory of the stars, for stars differ from stars in glory. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. If it is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. And it is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. Thus, it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural. And then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. And as in the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable. And we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable. And this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always bounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Okay, I'm testing, testing. All right. I, I, I got to start by confirming something that was just told to me. Um, so, 
Some of you know that I clearly don't know how to use this mic stand and adjust it. There we go. Now you all know that. Some of you know the Martin family, Blair and Kevin and their boys, who are back visiting with us. You guys have been in England for how long now? Four years. So some of you remember them from four years ago. So they're, they've been in England. They're back visiting with us. It's great to see you all. But Leah, when I sat down just now, she leaned over and she whispered to me and she goes, do you know the name of their youth pastor at their church in England? And I said, who? And they said, Ben Creelan. Really? Seriously? That's insane. So for those of you that don't know and are visiting, Ben Creelan was an intern at this church twice. And so Ben is a good friend of ours. And so he's, you know, he's been here for a couple of internships, and we miss him and Hope greatly. And so I'm glad to hear that you're there. That's amazing. It's so great to have you guys visiting. And so cool that he's so, wow, such a small world, isn't it? All right, so, but it's good to be back. And I, last week, I was so glad that Kevin was willing to preach in my absence. Uh, And so obviously, Rich had done the first part of 1 Corinthians 15 for us. And then there was this part of 1 Corinthians 15, and, you know, it would have been natural to say, hey, Kevin, would you just keep following and do this part? But I wanted to do this. And so I said, no, Kevin, you can't do this. I want to do this because this is an incredible piece of Scripture that I want to be able to talk about. So Kev talked about a different piece of Scripture relating to the resurrection. But friends, this is such a key portion of Scripture. This whole concept of resurrection is so key for us to understand because we can't stop until we get to the end. We can't stop until we get to the true and the glorious end of the story. And too often in the church, we're guilty of truncating the story. Too often in the church, we're guilty of cutting the good news short because we end before the true end of the story. Because we're guilty of stopping at heaven when there's even more good news to come. So don't stop until you get to the true and the glorious end of the story. Today's passage, the Apostle Paul is reminding us of, as Paul Harvey used to say, the rest of the story. And friends, the rest of the story is resurrection. Now, now, Two weeks ago, Rich preached for us, and he introduced the concept of resurrection. He introduced what Paul was writing about in the first part of 1 Corinthians 15. He showed us how we have certainty of our resurrection because of the certainty of Christ's resurrection. Because Christ is risen. It's not Easter, but it's still true. Good, keep you in practice. And friends, if Christ is risen, then we too will rise. So Paul Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15, and and Rich taught you about how if Christ is risen, if he's been raised, then he's just the first fruits of the resurrection. The first fruits were the first part of a crop, and they predicted the quality of the rest of the crop to come. Christ is just the first fruits of the resurrection. And so what we see in his resurrection is a promise for what will yet come for us in the resurrection. If Christ has in fact been raised, then we who are in Christ will in fact also be raised. He's the first fruit. That's Paul's point in the first part. So his point is, our hope is not ultimately heaven. Our hope is resurrection. 
And then last Sunday, Kevin expanded for us further on the hope that we have for the future resurrection. He talked about how this idea of a future resurrection gives us hope in our present sufferings. Because in the midst of today's brokenness, in the midst of our hurt and our pain and our sufferings, our hope is the resurrection of all things. Friends, our hope is the promise that it will not always be this way. It will not always be this way. Sickness, sorrow, sin, darkness, death, it will not have the final word. For Christ is risen, and therefore we who are in Christ will rise. We sang the hope together when we said, do you feel the world is broken? Yeah, we do. Do you feel the shadows deepen? We do. But you know, the dark won't stop the light from getting through. We do. And do you wish... Friends, do you wish you could see it all made new? We do. We do. And friends, that's our hope. Our hope is that it will all be made new. Our hope is resurrection. Our hope is that there's a new creation coming. It will come. It will be made new. We will be resurrected. Creation will be resurrected. And as Samwise Gamgee declared in Lord of the Rings, all the sad things will come untrue. This is our hope. Friends, our hope is not escape to some disembodied heaven eternally to sit on the clouds and to play harps. Our hope is resurrection. Our hope is the defeat of sin. Our hope is the cessation of suffering. Our hope is the death of death itself. Church, don't truncate the story. Heaven is real, and heaven, the very presence of Jesus, is our immediate destination after death. However, our ultimate eternal destination is resurrection. The gospel, the good news, is resurrection, that sin is defeated, that sin is destroyed. So don't stop until you get to the end of the glorious story. And friends, this is so important and difficult for us to to understand because this puts us out of step with the majority of the world's philosophies, and other religions. Now, now if, if you look across the world and across history and across cultures, we find that the idea of some kind of existence beyond life, beyond, I mean, beyond death, is a part of the story told by just about every culture, just about every religion, just about every philosophy. However, there are few, if any, that have a ridiculous hope like we do, a hope of resurrection. You know, you might remember that if you've been with us through this whole series, through 1 Corinthians, we, we hit a place in 1 Corinthians 6 and 7 where we had a conversation about the influence of Platonic thought upon the people of Corinth. Re- remember, Corinth was there and it was about 50 miles, and um, I'm sorry, about Athens was about 50 miles east of Corinth, and in Athens was a philosopher named Plato. And so the thinking in Corinth was heavily influenced by the Greco-Roman ideas of Platonism. And Plato taught that the human being is two separate parts, a material part and an immaterial part. We, We all have a material body and some kind of immaterial soul. And in Platonic thought, the material is really bad. It's kind of, it's crude, it's rough. And so what we really want is for our immaterial soul to be, be freed from this crude and bad material. It's the same philosophy that we hear in Return of the Jedi, when Yoda says, luminous beings are we, not this crude matter. 
That's the same philosophy. It's this idea that we are two parts, a material body and an immaterial soul. And so our desire is to be set free from the prison of this crude matter. And our longing should be for some sort of a heaven, some sort of a disembodied eternal existence, free from the entrapment of this crude and crass body. And that's exactly what we find is the desire and the teaching of most of the world's religions and philosophies. It's the idea of escape. We want to escape from the physical. We want to escape from this world to some kind of eternal existence, disembodied, some kind of a spiritual state. And so Platonic philosophers and the Gnostic teachers after them, they had this idea of spending eternity that the Christians started preaching in some kind of a resurrected body. Not only was that unthinkable, that was so undesirable. What are you all talking about? Are you crazy? Why would you want a resurrected body? Why would you want to continue to live in this material world? It made no sense to them. But church, that is our ultimate hope. Our ultimate hope is the resurrection of the body. Our ultimate hope is not disembodied heaven, but resurrected bodies on a resurrected earth. Because as we saw when we studied 1 Corinthians 6 and 7, biblically, the material, the body, is not bad. The material world is not bad. In fact, God created it all good. And in fact, what we talked about, to get a little bit technical for a second, what we talked about is the idea of dualism versus duality. Now, those words might sound familiar to those that were around, but just quickly, Platonic thought teaches dualism. I am a body and a soul, two parts together, but they're separate. But biblically, it says we're not a dualism. We're a duality. And and the illustration that we used was light. Is light a wave or is it a particle? Yes. Scientists will tell you, is light a wave or a particle? The answer is yes. Light is somehow both a wave and a particle. It's not a wave plus a particle. You can't separate them. It is a wave and a particle. It's a duality. It has a dual state of being. It's not two separate parts. And in the same way, the human being is not body and soul. The human being is a duality of body-soul. So platonic thought says, I'm a soul that has a body. But biblical duality says, you don't just have a body. You are a body. You are body and soul, just as light is wave and particle. The human being is a duality of material body and immaterial soul. You can't separate the ghost from the machine. The ghost isn't just in the machine. The ghost is somehow is the machine. So the Bible never teaches us the material is bad and the immaterial is good. The Bible doesn't teach us to long for escape from this body, from this crude matter. Sorry, Yoda. The Bible teaches that we are matter. We're a duality of material body, immaterial spirit. The ghost is not just in, but is the machine. And so the separation of the two is actually unnatural. And what does that mean for us? Let's break all down that technical discussion. What does that mean? That means Jesus didn't just come to save an immaterial soul. He came to redeem your whole self, which includes your body. Our hope is not some disembodied, immaterial eternity in heaven. Our hope is resurrection. Resurrection of this body. Resurrection of the material creation. The renewal of all things. If salvation was only for our souls, friends, then why did Jesus rise in a physical, material body? 
Because He's not just redeeming our souls. He's redeeming all things. Church, our hope is resurrection. Our hope is not just for the immaterial, but for the material as well. Our hope is that all things are going to be made new. So in this way, Christian theology runs contrary to ancient and contemporary belief systems that would degrade or ignore the material body. Humanity was actually created from the dust of the earth, Genesis tells us. We are earthlings. We are earthmen and earthwomen. We are of and from the material of earth. And eternally, we will live exactly as God created us to be, embodied on earth. So our hope is resurrection. Our hope is resurrection. And now, this runs so contrary. It runs absolutely so contrary to the way that we think and the way that this world thinks and the way they thought in Corinth that what have we seen so far as, as Rich went through this, some were denying the resurrection because they just couldn't believe this. Many couldn't, um, many, you know, scoffed at it and many just couldn't comprehend it. They're like, well, what are you talking, what does that look like? This is so beyond the way that we think. Paul, what does this look like? And so today's passage, Paul says, well, let's talk about what this means. Let's talk about what this looks like. And so it starts with a question in verse 35. But someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? And so Paul is trying to help Corinth and help Camden wrap their heads around the idea of a bodily resurrection. How are we to understand it? What's it going to be like? And so again, follow along in your own Bibles. You can follow along. Kevin has the scripture printed out in your bulletin. But look at, look at uh, the scripture there. Verses 36 through 38, he begins with the analogy of a seed. And he says, imagine you plant a seed. How about an acorn? Imagine you plant an acorn in the ground, and being planted in the ground, it dies to being an acorn, and then it rises to life as an oak tree. Now, friends, the acorn dies... But the oak tree that grows up after it, it contains the same DNA as the acorn that died. So although they look very different, there's a continuity between the body that was buried in the ground and that which is raised from the ground. And so it is with us. Friends, one day our bodies will die. They will be buried in the ground. But when they're raised, there will be continuity between the body laid in the ground and the body raised from the ground. I mean, just as that acorn, you bury it in the ground, it is not going to rise up as an elm tree. It's not going to rise up as a spruce tree. It can only rise up as an oak tree. And in the same way, friends, our bodies laid in the ground cannot rise up as anything but what we are. There's a fundamental continuity between the body laid in the ground and the body that will rise. And yet, Paul says, despite that continuity, verses 39 through 41, he says it's going to be a different kind of body. There'll be continuity, but it will be a different kind of body. And Paul uses the analogy of different kinds of bodies. What does he say here? He says humans have a kind of body. Land animals have a kind of body. Birds, fish, the sun, moon, and stars all have a different kind of body. And Paul's point is God has given each a body that is appropriate to the environment in which they operate. The bird's body is perfectly suited to the sky. The fish's body is perfectly suited to the water. But what if you take the body of the bird and you put it in the ocean? 
what's going to happen is the bird's going to die. Because its body, to live under the water, you need a body suited to living under the water. Or, what happens if you take the body of the human, unprotected, and you put it in outer space with the sun, moon, and stars? The body's going to die. Because to exist in outer space, you need a body that is suited to live in outer space. And Paul says, we too are going to need a different type of body to live eternally. For us to live in a resurrected heavens and earth, we need a resurrected body. Because our current bodies are not fit to live in a renewed creation any more than that bird is fit to live in the ocean or the human is fit to live in outer space. So for us to live eternally, we need resurrected bodies of an appropriate kind to live in a resurrected heaven and earth. So there will be continuity between the body that dies and is laid in the ground and the body that rises, but the body will be of a different kind, Paul writes. And then Paul goes on to describe what the body fit for eternity will be like if you look at verses 42 through 44. In 42, Paul says, These bodies we have now are perishable. Friends, just like the milk in your refrigerator, you have an expiration date. You're perishable. This body is perishable. But he says when your body's raised, it will be imperishable, never to die again. Just as Jesus Christ was raised, imperishable. In fact, the Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 6, verse 9, we know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. Friends, the resurrection body is imperishable. Death no longer has dominion. And in verse 43, Paul writes, We die and are buried in dishonor, but we're raised in glory. Friends, there is nothing more dishonorable than death. If you have watched a loved one slowly weaken, lose their strength, lose their faculties, lose their abilities, then you know that death is the ultimate affront to our honor. We die in dishonor. But Paul says we may be buried in dishonor, but we are raised in glory. And he goes on in verse 43 saying, this body, the body that we're in now, is prone to weakness, physical weakness. We have weakness of resolve. We have weakness of mind. But the body that's raised, he says, is raised in power. And finally, in 44, Paul says, it's sown a natural body and raised a spiritual body. Now, just a warning here. Remember, whenever Paul talks about spiritual, he's not talking about spiritual the way that the world today talks about spiritual. We have all kinds of ideas of what spiritual is in today's world. But biblically, what spiritual means is of and from the Spirit of God. So when Paul says it's raised a spiritual body, he says the resurrected bodies are filled, empowered, and animated by the very Spirit of God at work within them. So friends, while there is continuity between the body that is laid in the ground and the body that is raised, fundamentally this body is a different kind of body. It's a body that is fit for eternity. It's fit for the new heavens and the new earth. And Paul's point in verses 45 and 49 is that all of this is made possible by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. All of us are born into and we bear the image of Adam. Now, the name Adam literally means dusty or man of dust. 
Or maybe most accurately, Adam means earth man, man of earth. And now by faith, we are united with Christ. And thus in the resurrection, we who are earth men will bear the image now of Christ. It's what we sang this morning when we sang, Come Behold the Wondrous Mystery. In song, we declared, See the true and better Adam come to save the hellbound man. Just as we hellbound men and women bore the image of the first Adam of dust, we will be raised in the image of the true and the better Adam. We will be raised as Christ was raised, and we will have a resurrection body like his resurrection body. We will bear his image. He's the true and the better Adam. And just as we bore the image of the man of dust, one day we will bear the image of Jesus Christ. And then we will have a body that is fit, fit to live eternally in the new heavens and new earth. Paul summarizes this in verse 50 where he writes, I tell you this, brothers and sisters, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Our bodies need to be of a kind that can live in the new creation. Imperishable bodies can't inherit an imperishable, I mean imperishable bodies can inherit an imperishable kingdom. Resurrected bodies live in a resurrected creation. So friends, our hope is resurrection. Our hope is resurrection. And in verse 40, 51, that is, in verse 51, Paul begins to declare a mystery, like we've talked about again, whenever Paul starts talking about mystery, he's not talking about Scooby-Doo, he's not talking about Sherlock Holmes, he's talking about something that up till that point has been unknown, or is unclear, and now through Paul, God is making it clear, he's revealing a mystery not yet understood. So through Paul, the Lord is revealing the truth about the resurrection, when and how is this going to happen? What's this going to look like? And so Paul discusses here in 51 through 55 that all of it's going to happen, according to verse 52, at the last trumpet. You see there, verse 52, the last trumpet. Now, friends, some people say that these five verses are talking about some sort of a resurrection and some kind of a secret rapture of the church. But, friends, that's wrong. The phrase, the last and final trumpet, always refers biblically to the final return of Jesus Christ. This is about the final return of Christ. This is about the final resurrection. The Bible seems to teach that there will be one return of Christ, there will be one resurrection, and there will be one final judgment, and all of it happens at the sounding of the last or the final trumpet, as stated here in verse 52. And what Paul is saying is when Christ returns, when that final trumpet sounds, when the year of jubilee, of freedom and renewal is declared, at that point, Paul writes in verse 52, at that final trumpet, we shall all be changed. At that final trumpet, those who have died in Christ will rise in their resurrection bodies. And those who are alive and in Christ in the twinkling of an eye, their bodies will be transformed and will have resurrection bodies. The perishable will be clothed with the imperishable. And at that point, friends, death will die. At that moment, the final enemy will be destroyed because if in Christ we have been raised imperishable, then there is no more death, there is no more sorrow, there is no more sickness, there is no more su suffering. Death, like a scorpion or a wasp with its stinger removed, is harmless. 
And so in verses 54 and 55, Paul quotes Isaiah 25, 8 and Hosea 13, 14, and he writes a little song to mock death. He writes in verses 54 and 55, Then shall come to pass the saying that's written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where's your victory? O death, where's your sting? Friends, we live our lives in fear of death. And here's Paul mocking death, our greatest, most fearful enemy, because he says, your stinger's been removed. Christ is risen. And if Christ is risen, then we too will rise. Friends, we have hope because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. As we sang this morning, we are raised with him. Death is dead. Love has won. Christ has conquered. And friends, Christ has conquered. He has perfectly fulfilled the law on our behalf. As we also sang this morning, He's the true and the better Adam. Christ is the great and the sure fulfillment of the law. And in Him we stand. The power of the law of sin and death has been broken. Christ has conquered it. He's fulfilled it. He's removed death's sting. Death is dead. The final enemy is destroyed. Church, our hope, our hope is not escape. Our hope is victory. Our hope is not to be disembodied by death. Our hope is the destruction of death. Our hope is not heaven. Our hope is resurrection. Because resurrection means the final death of death. The defeat of our final and most fearsome enemy. Then resurrected, we will be fit to live eternally embodied as God created us to live in this world. Church, this is our hope. This is the true and the glorious end of the story. If Christ is risen, we too will rise. And to such good news, what should be our response? Paul writes in verse 57, But thanks be to God, but thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Praise and thanks to God. Until Christ's return, until the final trumpet sounds, we have an opportunity to respond to this gospel, to this good news. Live lives of grateful thanks, hopeful anticipation, victorious resurrection power. And friends, if you are here this morning, or if you're joining us online, and you've never heard or understood the way that you're hearing and understanding right now, and you're saying, I need that victory. I want that hope. Then let today be the day. The Apostle Paul wrote in Romans chapter 10, verse 9, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. Friends, do you believe that Christ is risen? And if He is risen, then you might be forgiven for your sins. You might be victorious over sin. Do you believe that if Christ is risen, then you too will rise? Do you want to know so great a salvation, so immense a power, so certain a hope? And if you do, please, please don't let this moment pass. But come and talk to me following the service. Because I would love to talk to you and to introduce you to the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. If you're online watching this, send me an email, pastor at chestnutstreetbaptist.org. Let's set up a time to get together to talk so that I can tell you more about the hope that we have because of the resurrection of Christ. And church, church, we're coming right now to this table. 
to the Lord's table. We're going to celebrate a meal that looks not just back on the death of Christ, but also invites us to look forward to Christ's return. In just a few minutes, I'm going to read for you the words from, of the Apostle Paul from earlier in this same letter. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 26, Paul wrote, For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. Until He comes. Friends, this meal reminds us to live today in light of the resurrection that's coming tomorrow. That Christ who has come will come. Then at that time when He returns... All who are in Christ will rise. At that time, the final enemy of death will die. At that time, we who rise in Christ will feast forever with Christ in His kingdom, eternally in the new heavens and new earth. So this meal is really a foreshadowing of the feast that's going to come eternally. It's a proclamation of our hope. Friends, not just a hope of heaven. It's a hope of Christ's return and the resurrection because that That church is the true and the glorious end of the story. And until that end, church, let's live in hope. Let's live, as Paul writes at the very last verse, verse 58. Therefore, my beloved brothers and sisters, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Church, if the resurrection is true, then your work here and now is not in vain because it has eternal consequence. So be steadfast, immovable, abounding in the work of the Lord. Live today in light of and in the power of the resurrection that will come tomorrow. Because church, this is our hope that Christ is risen. And so we too will rise. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for our unshakable, unmovable hope. The hope of resurrection. The hope that though the world is broken and though the shadows deepen, that we will one day see it all made new. That we ourselves will be made new and we will live eternally in the resurrected heavens and earth with Jesus Christ, who is making all things new. O Lord, haste that day. And until that day, make us steadfast and immovable and abounding in your work. For your name's sake and for your glory. Amen. If those who are serving communion.